Hey, welcome to the table, everyone. My name is Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here. And I need to say, I have to have a little caveat because we film on Thursdays. Matt let you know that last week. And there's been a heck of a lot going on in our country, in our communities, in our world. And so I have no idea when you uh, come to be watching this on Sunday, what will have gone on? So I just wanna say that on the front end of our time together. But we, as you view this, we're getting ready for an inauguration. We're celebrating the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, we're getting ready to turn the page on what for a lot of us has been a pretty hard and dismal four years. And we're doing that in the midst of chaos. We're doing it in the midst of chaos, and that's what it's felt like for me. And I wanted to go where Matt went last week, and he started out by asking y'all, how are you doing? Because we are a community of people who want to do this together, and I think that's an important question. Because I'll be honest with you guys, I am not doing that great. I would say that I'm not any better than I was last week when we gathered together. Because in the week that has come after um, the attack on our capital by that mob, in that week we've seen more and more footage, we've heard more and more stories, and the story becomes more and more appalling. The violence, the disregard for anything, for life, for our capital, our people's building. I think it's become more and more clear the discrepancy and the brutal treatment of racial justice protests and Black Lives Matter protests, the disparity in between the way they were treated and the way this group of white supremacists were almost graciously ushered out after they rampaged through our capital. And then, to, on top of that all, to hear people say that it actually wasn't even the Trump supporters, that it was Antifa. Give me a break. We all know it wasn't Antifa. We saw the Trump flags. We heard the rhetoric. And those kinds of things just fill me up with a lot of anger, a lot of concern. I've been upset about this desire to quickly move to peace and unity. Absolutely, that is what we want but not before we sit in what actually happened and name what actually happened and hold those accountable for what actually happened. And don't get me going after watching the impeachment hearings yesterday and the actual justifications for what happened. The actual standing by the current administration, the current president and his words, it's appalling. And more than anything, I've been so tired of the continued lies and misinformation, and I've had to pause from news. I've had to pause from social media. Just yesterday, uh, someone who's a newer friend, I, I know loosely, um, posted something about, hey, y'all, I have friends that were actually at the Capitol that day, and that group of people, they were singing America the Beautiful. It was actually Antifa that led it. A few Trumpers jumped in but it was Antifa that desecrated our capital. And to hear the responses, yeah, right on, thanks. I felt sick to my stomach. I couldn't even tell Steve about it for a while. I just felt so discouraged. So here's the deal. I'm grieving. I assume a lot of you are grieving. I'm upset and I'm sad and I'm afraid for what this means for the future of our country, the division, our kids, our grandkids. 
those who've already already been on the short end of the stick for everything, what does it mean for us? And I absolutely want to say that I cringe over the hateful rhetoric, the violence, the bigotry, the Confederate flag. But what I want to name here, and Matt's named it, and I know we're all um, struggling with it, the thing that gives me the, the most angst, and always has, it always has in the last four plus years, is the role of the church. Because let's be honest, there's a big contingency of Christians that has brought us to this moment. And the scariest thing for me is that they believe that it's truth. And I'll always have in my head the visions on those capital steps with all the violence and all the rhetoric, flags saying, Jesus saves, and so does Trump. Signs saying, Jesus for Trump. And here's the thing, friends. I don't know the Jesus that they claim to follow, and I'm confused. And in this moment, I was talking to Matt about it last week. I don't know what to do. That's how I'm feeling. And I just wanted to share that with you all, because in conversations I've had, I think a lot of you are feeling that very same way. We don't know what to do. And underneath it all, I think the deepest fear for me, what I'm really afraid of is that truth won't prevail. That's what I'm afraid of, because this is about truth, right? Because the only way to unity and peace and some sense of hope is to stand in the truth, to speak the truth. And that's no easy task. Our call is to be truth and light. Matt talked about that last week, right? Let there be light. And our role is the people of God in bringing that light. Well, it's the very same thing with truth. We need to discern the truth. We need to stand in the truth. We need to speak out. And I do believe truth God's truth will prevail. And our role in that is to listen and to act. So last week, Matt gave you a little background on the Revised Common Lectionary, this a rotation of scripture that we are in. It's a three-year rotation. It brings you all the way through um, the Bible and its Psalms and an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading and something from the Gospels and the letters. And this week's was just perfect for this moment in time. Because we're in the book of Samuel. And it's a story that I think speaks to where we're at. The book of Samuel, it opens in this time where Israel as a nation is at a spiritual low. Idolatry, corruption, it's rampant among the people, among the judges, among the priests. Everyone had walked away from God, actually thumbed their nose at God. Now, let me just say this. I love, love, love the story of Samuel. I've always loved it. And for one thing, this story starts with a really strong female. And she just doesn't set the stage. She is a big part of this prophet Samuel that we're going to learn about and his call. And her name is Hannah. And Hannah um, grieves she longs for a child because she's barren. And we've talked about what that means in ancient times. You are at the bottom of the total pole as far as the value of who you are if you cannot bear a child. But she longs for this child and she prays. And she ends up at the steps of the tent or the temple crying to God for this baby that she so desperately wants. And Eli, the priest, actually thinks she's drunk. But she says, no, no, no. I just desire for this baby. And this baby, 
I am going to commit to serve the Lord. Well, as it goes, she gets pregnant. And following the nudge of the Spirit, she commits this baby, this Samuel, to a life of service to God. That's the second part about what I love about this story. Because I understand, I've experienced that grief, the pain of not being able to have a baby. The years that Steve and I navigated infertility, it brings it all back to me. Those months and months of wondering if it'll ever happen. Of deep, deep sorrow. And I've also experienced the joy of finding out that we're pregnant. And I remember in that moment when I found out I was pregnant, I had my own prayer to God. And in that moment, when I heard from the nurse, yes, you are having a baby, my prayer was this. God, with every breath that I take during this pregnancy, it is a prayer of praise and gratitude to you. And it sure was the entire pregnancy. And I've experienced the awe of the birth of a baby and the joy of that too. It's a picture of, of me and Sam. Many of you know him. He's an adult man at the table now. And, and Sam, yeah, you didn't become a prophet. It's not too late. You can still do it. But hey, it's okay. You work for legal aid. That's cool too. But as the story goes on, um, Hannah goes ahead and she weans Samuel and she brings him to Eli, the priest, so that he can raise Samuel to serve God. And then we go on and we hear about Hannah's song, this beautiful prayer, a song of praise that talks about the character of God, this God who, who cares about the poor and the powerless, a God that is going to judge those who abuse their, their um, power. And it's, it's really prophetic. It really lays out where God's going to take Israel. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the story goes on to tell us about Eli, the house of Eli, his two adult sons that are also priests. And the, the scriptures tell us that they're scoundrels. These two guys, they've abused their powers, they've insulted God, and they've put their own desires above the common good of the people that they are called to serve. And because of Eli's failure to restrain his own sons, God warns him of coming judgment and the fall from power. So this boy, Samuel, he continues to grow in the presence of the Lord, and that's where we pick it up in 1 Samuel 3. The boy, Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli, and in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I didn't call. Go back. Lay down. And now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls, you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
So Samuel went, he lay down in the place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. So we have Eli who's, who's aged, I imagine both physically and emotionally, maybe from the heartbreak of all that parenting that he had to do. And we have the young Samuel who's laying, um, lays by the Ark of the Covenant and he hears God's voice three times answering, here I am, here I am. And when he responds with the Hebrew word hanini, here I am. And in scripture, that word usually refers to a willingness to respond with action to one's master. So Samuel is ready. So upon realizing through Eli's direction that this was indeed the voice of God, he answers, speak for your servant is listening. One of the things that I want to pause for a moment that I think is really important for us to pay attention to is that although the word had been rare, few visions were being seen. Eli, obviously a very broken person, he knew enough still to direct Samuel as to what to do. So God's persistence and Eli's mentoring, they worked together, a reminder to us that the people who come before us, the people that walk alongside us, are often there to help us to discern the voice of God. And in this moment, I want to ask you that question, who is that for you? Who is it that mentors you? Who is it that's come before you? Who's the Eli in your life? Because we all need that as we try to discern God's voice, as we try to discern truth. That's what life together is about. But there's more. So here's the thing that comes with listening, with hearing a call from God, is that it can be hard. And in the case of Samuel, that's certainly true. We're back in verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering. So Samuel went on to deliver that message to Eli, the message that Eli and his family would be removed from service because of their abuse of power. Can you imagine? I mean, imagine being a child. Samuel was a child, mentored by someone since your mother weaned you, someone who cared for you and directed you and taught you. And his first act as a rising prophet was to prophesy judgment against Eli. Nice first assignment. Clean house. And by the way, it's Eli's house that I'm asking you to clean. Eli, his pastor, his mentor. His first message was not a small task. But what we now know is that it was the very beginning of something new, a prelude to a long career that would lead to Samuel's um, crowning of the first king for the nation state of Israel. And then we're told that God continues to appear to Samuel throughout his life. And Samuel continues to learn to trust God's word. And in turn, the people of God learn to trust Samuel. 
Samuel, someone who tried to follow God. But no one ever said it would be easy, and it's not. And here's the thing. We are all called. Everyone's vocation matters, and we are all called in this mission of God's on earth. I think this is a beautiful, the right moment to remember Dr. King. Dr. King and his life and his legacy, and you know what? His call, because it was a call. There's a woman named Shirley Cherry, and she's a tour director for Dexter Parsonage Museum. And she tells a story about Dr. King's call. I'd love you to listen to it. The highest honor I've ever had in my life is putting a key in the door where Martin Luther King Jr. put a key because that is a symbol of unlocking the world for humanity. And I always say, welcome to where the kings lived, loved, and sacrificed to make the world a better place for everybody. pretty much said you had to do two things in order to be free. You have to forgive everybody for everything they've ever done to you. And number two, you have to lose your fear of death. Not how long you live, but how well you live. And so he lost his fear of death in this kitchen around midnight on January 27, 1956, where Dr. King received his epiphany after he received a threatening phone call. We're tired of you and your mess now, and they're talking about the Montgomery bus boycott. And if you're not out of this town in three days, we're gonna blow your house up and blow your brains out. And he went in that kitchen and he said himself, with fears creeping up on his soul, he went in that kitchen to try to figure out how to get out of Montgomery without appearing to be a coward. And something happened when he started to pray out loud. And then he heard that voice, that inner voice, call him by name, Martin. Luther, stand up for truth, stand up for justice, and stand up for righteousness. Martin Luther King Jr. could have hidden in the crowd with everybody else, but because he was such a man of character, he couldn't say no. He couldn't say, he had a choice. He had a choice. Martin Luther King, as I mentioned, had a privileged life. He didn't have to do what he did, but he wanted, he said in his own words, I'm trying to do what is right. I'm losing my courage, but I'm trying to do what is right. There are no guarantees that our call is going to be easy, and I think it often isn't. It was difficult for Moses. It was difficult for Samuel, for Mary, for Martin Luther King Jr., for Jesus, for my friend who's had to have hard conversations, who's called to speak truth to loved ones. It's rarely easy. But we are called to listen to that voice, the voice of God, and then to speak what we hear. Now, I've been wrestling with, I believe so strongly that this is the truth of God. So how do we know that? Besides walking alongside others that we trust and trying to discern that voice, there's a couple things I've been thinking a lot about in the rhetoric, in the actions, 
and the way we live in this world. And there are two. One of them, I think a lot about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. I think that's a good level set for all of us. But the other thing I try, I'm not always successful when I get wound up, when I am sure that this is the right way, I ask myself these three questions. And that's it. Is it just? Is there kindness and mercy? Is there humility? And I don't just ask it of others. I have to ask it every day of myself. But I do think that's a bar as we listen to the voice and speak that truth. Because the other thing about this, friends, is that this is bigger than us. This is not about us. It's about letting other people hear the voice of God, experience God, the presence of God. It's about joining God and right-siding this ship. Dr. King says this, there comes a time when must one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because conscience tells him it's right. We could use some of that right, right now. It's not an easy thing to do. And as I think about my own angst and my own anger toward our country, some of the leadership, towards our church, some of the leadership. And I'm frustrated with what seems to be so many people that have traded fidelity to God, fidelity to the common good of all people, to fidelity to power, fidelity to, cele to um, celebrity. I like the idea of Samuel's story and Dr. King's story, the reminder that there is hope in this, that the hope is in a God that calls us and a people that listen and who speak to what they hear. And that is our call, friends, to stand up for truth and for justice and for righteousness. And I know there's risk in being a truth teller. We obviously saw it in the life of Dr. King. We see it in our own worlds with the relationships that are at risk. I know a lot of you have suffered with broken relationships and trying to stand in the truth. We see it in our own leadership who've taken a stand and their lives are threatened. So just know that we know this isn't an easy call, but it's the only way. It is the only way to bring the kingdom of God here. So what's the answer to my question is, what do I do? What do we do? I think we put one foot in front of the other I think we pause and we listen. We listen for that small, sometimes loud voice of God. We hold hands, we link arms, we move forward to discern and stand and speak the truth. We answer yes, we say, here I am. Speak, for we are listening, God. Because here's the thing, when we are willing, when we are willing to listen to the voice of God, even when it is counter to the voice of the institution that is supposed to witness to God, that's when we can bring hope, hope to the world. God is calling. Let's help each other listen. Let's help give each other the courage to step up, to speak out. That's what I got today, friends. I love you all. We're in it together. That gives me great hope. And my prayer for all of us is that we can take courage 
and that we can stand in the truth. Thank you, Debbie, for that message on truth and being truth tellers and being truth seers and truth believers, people who prioritize truth over the lesser lies that may make us more comfortable. Uh, this is a time for truth. And Jesus was a leader of truth. Jesus was insisting that he was the truth, that his way was the truthful way of living. And he did that in uncomfortable moments, like the night before he was betrayed. He sat around with a group of friends and he could have told them, guys, it's going to work out. God's going to come through. Everything's going to be just fine. But instead, he picked up a loaf of bread from the middle of the table and he said, it's all coming to an end. This is my body and it's going to be broken for you. When I'm gone, in my absence, when I'm no longer here, come together around the bread and remember me. In the same way, he lifted up the cup, the cup of the new covenant, the cup shed for the forgiveness of the sins. And he said, and guys, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. When you get back at this table and I'm not here with you, drink this cup and remember me. And so that's what we do here. This is one of our centering and central practices here at the table that no matter what is going on in the world or what is going on in our own community, we return to this table every week and we partake in the bread and we partake in the cup. So if you are at home, um, by yourself, I want to offer these words to you, or if you are at home with somebody next to you, offer these words to them. This is the body of Christ, and it is broken for you. This is the blood of Christ, and it is shed for you. Every week when we take part in these elements, we also join together in our separate locations right now, and we say the Lord's Prayer. So will you join me? Our God, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.